My name is Michael Hildebrand, and I'm the director of the Upstate Mobility Alliance. We are a nonprofit focused on making the upstate of South Carolina a vibrant and connected region in the areas of transportation policy and mobility. Today, we have Lance Stepp, principal planner with Appalachian Council's government with us. Good afternoon, Lance. Yeah, good afternoon, Michael. Uh, thanks for having me. Uh, really, uh, really looking forward to our discussion today. Yeah, no, thanks. I appreciate you uh, joining us today. So first, Lance, why don't you just start by telling us a little bit about yourself? Yeah, sure. Well, uh, so as you mentioned, I'm currently a principal planner at the uh, Appalachian Council of Governments and been in this role for about seven years now. I've actually worked as a planner in one form or another for almost 16 years now, both in public and private sectors and in multiple states. And it, it, it's been varied. You know, I've been a planning director that's been focused on you know, day-to-day -day operations such as building permits, code enforcement, development services, those types of things. But, you know, I've also worked in roles uh, for long-range planning where we look ahead and try to create visions for communities and give policy direction to city and county councils as they make decisions. You know, and honestly, my work at the COG really uses that skill set from, from both the current planning side of things and the long-range planning side of things. And so I'm really fortunate to have had that um, I guess you call that diverse background in planning, you know, it really helps me see the bigger picture with, with my work here at the COG. I, re I really do enjoy what I do. And, you know, from, from a personal standpoint, my wife and I live here in Greenville with our daughter. Um, you know, our daughter's six. We've been trying to navigate COVID in school like everyone else has this year. Met my wife here back in 2005 and her and I moved around for various jobs that I had been in North Carolina and Texas and then ultimately back here in 2012, and we've been here ever since, and, and we're staying. We love the upstates. We're we're happy to be here. Now, so we really are blessed to to live in the upstate. And you mentioned some of your background and and how it's beneficial to your work at the COG. So first, why don't you just tell us a little bit about so what is the role of a council of government, and then how many do we have here in South Carolina? Yeah, that's that's a good question, actually, and I, and I always appreciate the opportunity to. Uh, try to tell people about what we do because a, a lot of times folks really don't know about us. And, and so I really appreciate this opportunity to, to talk to you about, you know, specific about what we do. So there's about, there are 10 councils of government in, in South Carolina. Uh, they go by different names in different states. Every state has a council of government or what they call local development districts. That, that's also another name. Specifically in South Carolina, CODS began back in uh, the mid 60s, around 1967. And that was really part of a national boom in the growth of COGS and development districts nationwide. And that's because there, there began to come about federal requirements that required uh, COGS to be formed as preconditions to receiving federal funding. And there were also some states that, that had some of their own mandates to create sub-state regions within their state to, uh, to help supervise planning and those types of things. So, you know, really the, the big boom, you know, nationally came about in the mid-60s. But the COG actually goes all the way back. Uh, the history of COGS in general goes back to the mid-40s. Uh, the Atlanta Regional Commission was actually the first COG in the nation. It was formed back in 1947. You know, COGS really are just extensions of, of local counties, cities, and towns. You know, for us here at ACOG, we are partially funded through general fund contributions by the six counties in our region. And our region consists of those counties that touch I-85 here in the upstate. So, we go all the way west to east. We go uh, Oconee, Anderson, Pickens, Greenville, Spartanburg, and Cherokee. Those are our six counties. And we provide, you know, a lot of technical assistance to our member counties and the cities and towns within those counties. 
I'd say by a sure number standpoint, uh, we have the most staff dedicated to aging services at the COG. And uh, the COG is designated as the area agency on aging. So we work with South Carolina Department on Aging to deliver certain services in the upstate like um, home delivered and congregate dining, in-home care, Medicare counseling, patient advocacy, those types of things. We also have a division called WorkLink that is focused on job training and other job finding type services. We have a grants division as well that's heavily involved with our communities and applying for uh, and administering really a, a whole host of federal and state grants, such as the CDBG program, which is the community development uh, block grant program, and also the Atlanta Regional Commission, the ARC program. And these grants are typically used for infrastructure, community revitalization, uh, downtown development, those, those types of things. We also have mapping and data services through Infomentum and our regional data center through our uh, economic development department. Uh, our planning and government services division, we come in and, and we do a lot of different things in that division. Uh, you know, we can fill gaps within staffing and management of services. And that's particularly in our smaller towns or in times of transition. You know, in the past, we've, we've stepped in at the city of Greenville and their planning department when they've had some turnover and, and we sort of helped staff their planning department for a few months. We've gone in when some town administrators have, have moved on and to try to fill that gap. So, uh, you know, we've also worked with existing staff to update ordinances, you know, such zoning ordinances, uh, comprehensive plans, those types of things. So, you know, going back to what I said when I first started, you know, it, you can see we do a lot of things in the region and, and we're typically working behind the scenes to perform a lot of this work. And, you know, it's possible that we've been involved in a lot of the initiatives perhaps you've heard of, but you've really never heard of the COGS role in that. And, that, and that's fine. That's where we want to be. We want to be there to just walk along folks and um, you know, make sure they're able to, to do the jobs they set out to do. Well, so one of the areas that you're working on right now that at least I hope the public is, is hearing about is your work with the a regional freight plan. Um, I was hoping you could maybe just talk a little bit about what that freight plan is, what were the reasons why you wanted to create it, and then ultimately, what do you hope to achieve out of this? Sure, yeah, and I, and I echo what you said. I'm, we're, we're trying to get the message out as much as we can about this freight plan that we're doing. So we do hope that that we do have some interest in that. And, and based on the folks we've talked to, we've had a lot of interest in it. You know, look, the, the COG is a, is a regional entity. We always look for opportunities to tackle issues of region-wide significance. And this freight plan is something that has been discussed for, for quite, quite a number of years. We all know that there's a freight issue in the upstate. And there was really a question about who was going to step forward and lead that regional effort. And we thought us being a regional regional agency, it just makes most sense for us to kind of step up and take the lead on that. And really, there's a couple of reasons we're doing the plan. And first, I think you have to look at just the significant population and really growth and in industry that has put a ton of pressure on our existing infrastructure. You know, our region has grown, I think, by about 25% since the year 2000. Currently, our region looks looks like it has about 1.3 million folks. That could be upwards of 1.8 to 2 million by 2040. And even conservatively, I think you can look at 1.7 to 1.8 million in the population by 2040. So we have this huge swelling population growth that's sort of underlying the surface there. Well, in addition to that, we've seen you know industrial growth over that same period of time that's that's just been incredible. Uh, you know, South Carolina ranks consistently in the top five in the nation in attracting jobs through foreign investment. And half, really more than half of that investment, 
lands in the upstate. So the upstate's seen more than $15 billion in capital investment since 2010, and, and that's equated to more than 37,000 jobs. So that population growth, this, this huge business and industrial growth we've had, I mean, it, 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 it's no wonder why we're seeing some infrastructure issues in terms of logistics and freight delivery. And so that's probably the main reason we wanted to look at this. The second reason, though, is the fact that freight you know, it's a it's a regional problem. It's not a local problem. We can't point to one location in the upstate and say, well, you know, if we just fix the infrastructure and, and bridge issues and, and what have you in this one mile radius, then our problems would be solved. Well, we, you know, it's not it's not that easy. You know, for example, the Inland Port, you know, the Inland Port and Greer opened in 2013 and it's consistently, I mean, it's had strong annual growth and container movements since opening, and it just continues to outperform projections annually. But our freight issues are not solely due to the inland port. We've had significant industrial development region-wide. I mean, you look at the 290 corridor in Spartanburg County, exactly what type of industrial development we're seeing there. We're seeing similar industrial development happening in Oconee County and also in Cherokee County. And so this is not just an inland port problem. Uh, This is a a region-wide, six-county upstate problem. And to add nuance to this, (laughs) there are four transportation planning entities in our region. There's three what's called metropolitan planning organizations. Uh, SPATS is the Spartanburg uh, Area Transportation Study. GPATS is the Greenville-Pickens Area Transportation Study. And then you have ANATS, which is the Anderson Area Transportation Study. So you have those three planning entities that focus on transportation, plus us as the COG, we focus on transportation outside of those areas. And, you know, we've all known each other for a long time. We work really well together. And there has never been a regionally focused freight plan in the upstate. And, you know, we couldn't move forward with one without partnering with our MPO colleagues on this venture. So, you know, again, it goes back to uh, us recognizing that there was a problem here for quite a long time and us ultimately choosing to, to step up with our partners and, and kind of go, uh, go at this together. You know, we're stronger together at this, and, and goodness, the, the policy committees from our MPO partners and our board has just been fantastic to work with through this process. We're really excited about getting to the finish line. So there's that. So um, I guess I need to tell you new now about what we hope to achieve. So what we hope to achieve, I think there's two things we want to achieve. I think first, and probably most predictably, I think we want to work with our consultant team and, and with our regional partners. And I think we want to find solutions to some of these issues. And those solutions could be road improvements, capacity-based improvements where we need to widen the road here or there. We may um, you know, need to look at uh, raising the elevation of bridges so that the clearance under bridges can accommodate trucks. And those are important solutions, but I, I think there's some other ones we're going to look at that are going to be more difficult to achieve, but they are just equally as important. And I think that's a regional truck parking plan. You know, we've heard, uh, we, we've we kicked this plan off back in March, and I think consistently we've heard through our meetings with the trucking industry and through some of our other uh, shipping and, and logistics partners, truck parking is a big problem. And it's not just a South Carolina problem. I mean, it truly is a nationwide problem. Uh, and especially with, you know, there, there was uh, legislation that came out recently that requires truckers now to take mandatory breaks. You know, my dad was a truck driver and, you know, he would drive 18, 19 hours a day sometimes. You know, they can't do that anymore. So the the demand for truck parking areas has increased and we need to, we need to come to the table. We need to try to meet that demand if we can. And, and another thing we've looked at is possibly a regional traffic operations program. 
And this is where we gather you know, real-time information from traffic detectors, uh, closed caption cameras, ramp meters, uh, to better manage traffic reliability and incidents. And this is really where the rubber meets the road with a lot of uh, logistics folks. You know, when you're shipping freight, and I know if I'm going from point A to point B, and let's say I have to go through Atlanta to get to point B, well, I know probably at rush hour, that's going to be congested. That's, that's reliably congested, if that makes sense. So I know I need to factor in an additional hour in my ship time to get through Atlanta. The, the thing that hurts a lot of shippers are these unexpected incidents that happen, these traffic accidents that happen. And we see them on 85 all the time that can you know, back uh, traffic out on either way, either direction for miles. We need to have a system in place that, that can better address those types of incidents to minimize those unexpected incidents that happen on our roadways. And second, you know, we want to try to tell a story with this plan. You know, most of us think freight is just the semi-truck that we're you know, competing with as we drive down the interstate. But it's just such a much bigger story than that. And, and through COVID, there's been some amazing behind the scenes stories that have played out and, and really have changed lives. And I was talking uh, to our partners over at GSP Airport last week, and you know they completed work on their uh, air cargo facility back in September, 2019. That was about a little over 100,000 square feet. And that expansion has resulted in an 87% increase in freight cargo volume coming through GSP uh, from from inception to September of 2020. And what's untold and what's interesting is that new air cargo facility gave many local industrial manufacturers an option for shipping that otherwise wouldn't have been there two years ago. One thing I found out through this process, you know, a lot of air cargo actually is shipped in the belly of commercial airliners, but we all know commercial airliners and, and passenger traffic has, has gone down since COVID. And uh, it's just amazing to see that the GSP was forward thinking in that uh, in that arena. And we had an ability to have a, a plan B in place there. You know, that facility saved jobs in our region. It's a story that most folks wouldn't hear. So, you know, we want to humanize freight as best we can. And we want to help folks understand what a critical part of our economy it is. You know, I think I think this is some really important work. You know, one of the complaints that I hear on a regular basis is the number of of trucks on the interstate and on some of our secondary roads, but then also just the congestion that they appear to cause. And, and what I tell those people is we are blessed here in the upstate to have really great growth and economic development. And part of the reason, at least, is because of our manufacturing facilities. I mean, like you said, we have we have the Inland Port, we have Michelin, we have the Donaldson Center. We have a lot of really great uh, manufacturing operations here in the upstate that provide a lot of jobs to a lot of people. And so seeing the number of trucks on the roads and interstates is actually a positive thing because it shows just how much we're producing and moving throughout the upstate. And so I think this plan will uh, not only help make the interstates more more efficient, but also safer as well, which which I think is really important. So, so you guys are doing some really great work on that. We've talked about the growth in the upstate and, and you know, the, the freight plan is, is one of those kind of things that comes out of that growth. What else, what other kind of growth are you seeing in the region? What are you going to be projecting out, you know, the next 20 years? Yeah, that's a good question. And, um, you know, we, we've had so many, <laughs> so many wrenches thrown into a lot of our assumptions this past year. It's, it's, it's been an interesting year to sort of watch this unfold. And, you know, so 
spoke about population a little bit ago, and, and you know, we're, we're looking at 1.3 million increasing to 1.8 to, to 2 million, and you know, by 2040, you know, our, our population itself, our, our let's say above retirement population, say ages 65 and up in the ACOG region, by 2040, that's probably that cohort of ages from 65 and above is probably going to take up about 25% of our total population. Currently, it's about 18%, 19%. Uh, if you look at those 85 and older, you know, by 2040, that could be 3% of our population. Doesn't sound like a lot, but we're talking about 45, 50,000 folks above 85. And the reason I say that is because, you know, those folks above 85 have very specific needs, uh, very specific needs in terms of the type of development that's needed, uh, the type of services that are needed to be provided. Uh, you know, we talk about transit, we, we talk about you know, this is this is a this is a population that we're going to need to ramp up to serve over the next 20 years. So I think that's one big takeaway from that. And you know, the other thing I think is that's interesting through this is you know, I, like, yeah, I spoke about our assumptions moving forward. I, I think from a commuting standpoint, we've seen a change in commuting behaviors, uh, and I just I don't know that we're going to fall back into that same pre-COVID pattern. I, you know, last week I was pulling some data on uh, there's a some travel time data that we look at through this analytics company uh, named Enrix, and overall traffic volumes they initially dropped substantially in March. You know, right right at the time everything started shutting down, uh, it dropped to about 60 to 70 percent of what we would normally see. Well, that's rebounded. Now we're probably closer to about 80 to 85% of, of what was pre-COVID levels. Uh, we've also seen an increase in average freeway speeds compared to pre-COVID levels. And that, of course, tells us there's less congestion. And that data has followed a similar pattern as the traffic data, uh, volume data. You know, we had an initial sharp increase in speeds right when the pandemic hit and then sort of a gradual lowering of speeds near pre-COVID levels. We're still about 5 to 10% higher. But interestingly, heavy truck traffic's not skipped a beat. It, it, there was a slight decrease around March, but uh, you know, overall truck traffic this year is actually exceeding where it was in 2019. So, so through our work on the freight plan, we've heard the same from shippers and carriers that we've spoken with. They've actually continued to be busy and gotten, in fact, more busy. Uh, you know, people have been shopping from home more. They're getting more shipments, and so so that's that's continuing on on uh, you know they're continuing on increasing. So then going back to you know, what we're talking about, do, do behaviors go back? You know, will folks continue to work from home after we get back to a pre-COVID lifestyle? Uh, or, you know, does that mean certain sectors of the economy transition to more of a work from home model? You know, if that happens, what happens to real estate uh, where, you know, maybe company headquarters may not be opting for as much space as they once were. And, and I think these are all questions we just don't, we really don't know the answers to, and we won't for a while, but I think we as planners, I think we need to start thinking about these things when we're putting plans together for the future, and specifically about our our idea of an aging cohort and an aging population. I think there are services there we need to be prepared to provide that we're not. Yeah, you know, so I just read an article this morning that talked about how there there is a shift. Now there's some dispute about how large of a shift it is, but there's a there's a shift from the urban environment to, to more of the suburban area. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of that has to do with companies making the decision to consolidate some office space, you know, do things differently, mm -hmm. increase work from home. So it'll be really interesting to see how the upstate plays into that because, you know, as we know, the upstate 
continues to get recognition for uh, best place to live, best place to retire. Uh, you know, a lot of those mm-hmm. accolades that also help to attract people of all different ages and backgrounds to, to the upstate. So, you know, I'm, I'm glad to hear that, that, you know, you particularly, and then planners in general really are using this time to kind of take a broader look at things and maybe even question some assumptions that you had maybe just a year ago. Yeah. And I agree, Michael, it, it's, it's about always examining what, what you've done. And that's really with any kind of the science. I mean, you have to go back and look at what the data are telling you. And sometimes we do have to stop in our tracks and say, okay, well, you know, now the data is starting to shift a little bit and we're starting to, you know, look at, uh, look at some other things, you know, and going back to what you said about, you know, what, 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 um, you know, we just don't know. We really don't know. You know, we, we might be having this conversation in three years and we may be commuting like we normally do people not working from home as much as they are now. I mean, you know, it really could end up being, you know, sort of back to square one, but, uh, yeah, I, I don't think so. I, I really think we're going to see a shift. And, you know, the other thing I, I think that we'd be remiss if we didn't bring up is is automation and, and what role automation is going to have in uh, specifically freight moving forward. I think one thing we've heard is that during the pandemic, uh, a lot of the shippers that, that we've spoken with have started to examine the role that automation will play in, in their deliveries, whether that's in loading trucks, whether that's in making those last mile deliveries. Uh, at some point, I think automation is going to factor in that. No, I think I think you're spot on. I saw an article uh, here just in the last couple of days talking about Amazon uh, looking at autonomous delivery vehicles that don't have a reverse option. So, you know, you're, it, it's going to be really interesting to see how technology plays into this in the next couple of years. So Lance, Absolutely. before I let you go, I want to just ask you, so you guys do a lot of really great work. And, and like you said earlier, you know, some of it is behind the scenes and people wouldn't necessarily connect the work that you do to what they, to the outcomes that they see. But, but some of these other things like the f- freight plan, for instance, is something that um, is, is very visible and very public. And I'm sure we have people that live in the upstate that want to get involved. So how can, how can our residents in the upstate, what role can they have for you? How can they help you in the work that you do? Yeah, and this is, this is, this is a great question. And, you know, I think we rely on an engaged citizenry when we go through a planning process, whether it's the freight plan or, or sort of any other processes that we're involved in. And, you know, one thing I think we've learned over the years is that we need to be much more holistic with our public involvement strategies so that we can allow for that engaged citizenry. And I think that's why you're seeing more virtual public meetings, more uh, chat type charrettes, online mapping uh, tools uh, to request input for projects. Um, So, you know, and we have all those on our website specifically for the freight plan. at, uh, you know, www.scacog.org. You can actually link on our our planning of actually all of our services there, but specifically if you go under our services under planning, uh, there'll be a link there to the freight plan if folks want to learn more. We keep that updated with minutes, presentations, and everything from all of our previous meetings that we've had on the freight plan. It's really a great opportunity for folks honestly, like me, before I started this planning process, I didn't know anything about freight. And I have learned so much just in the past six, seven months. And if folks want to take some time and look through those materials that we have digested, it it has been just amazing to see uh, just just how much knowledge there is out there that we don't know about. And so I, I think 
having citizens engaged and, and having citizens educated. I think I think those are two huge things that would benefit us the most. And and I think in general, you know, I, and planners are starting to see this and they're starting to do this. And, you know, I, I think we need to make sure that we're giving ourselves the best opportunity for success in reaching our citizens. And that's that's not just a you know, a, a public meeting on a Thursday night at five o'clock at town hall. That's, that's why we need to be doing these different things to try to get as much participation as we can. I, I think folks want to be involved in the process. I just think folks are busy like me, like you, like, like all of us, we have families, we've got jobs. I think we're still interested in how our communities are going to look in 20, 30, 40 years. And we've just got to give our folks, we've just got to continue to do a better job of giving our folks opportunities to, uh, to, to provide us input. Well, in just speaking of that, Lance, I've noticed that you post uh, regularly um, about not only the freight plan, but you post about other other things and, and comment on issues that are going on. To, so I, you do a really great job of, of making these issues public. And, and so I just appreciate what you do and, and I appreciate the time today. So, so thank you and, and hope you have happy holidays. Yeah, thanks, Michael. Same to you. Again, appreciate the opportunity. Really enjoyed our discussion today. Thank you.